Thank you for listening to Action in Ministry. We want to hear about your ministry or a ministry you love. Text the word ACTION to 484848 and a producer will contact you for your idea. Imagine up to 300,000 Americans under the age of 18 being lured into the commercial sex trade this year. A majority of those are between 11 and 14 years old. And once they enter this life, they're expected to live just seven years. Today, we're talking to a mom who couldn't stand the thought of this happening in her city and decided to fight back. And she's not alone. That's now on this Action in Ministry. Inspiring you to be the hands. Empowering you to be the feet. Strengthening you to be the heart of Christ for others. Action. 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 In ministry. Hi, I'm Rachel Legute, and this is Action in Ministry. Not in Our City is an organization founded by two ordinary moms in Texas. News of the rampant sex trade industry whisking away young boys and girls, no different from their own kids, didn't send them hiding in fear, but instead triggered boldness and passion to take action. Joining us today is Angie Geiki, co-founder of Not in Our City. It's great to have you here with us today, Angie. Thanks. It's good to be here. Well, Angie, for anyone who has children, this topic is scary to think about, but we we can't just shut it out. We have to think about it. Can you give us the statistics that woke you up to the reality of this problem? Sure. Um, My eyes were truly opened when I realized just primarily that the sex trafficking is, it's not something that just happens in other countries. Um, I had heard about horrible things happening overseas and um, was even giving monthly to an organization um, that was devoted to freeing children in other places. Um, and I thought at the time that I knew all there was to know about sex trafficking. Um, but I had gone to a presentation in a friend's home, and um, the statistics that I heard there just kind of opened my eyes that there, so much more was going on. Um, like that 80% of the trafficking victims in the United States were American citizens. Mm. Um, that just astounded me. And that in my state of Texas, there were an estimated 79,000 minors being sex trafficked on any given day. Um, and that number is really smaller than the actual number just because so many go unreported. Mm. Um, at that presentation, I learned, too, that um, there were about six brothels just between um, my home and the school that my children attended, um, the Lutheran school that my children attended. And so it was a very shocking reality that um, was kind of revealed to me that this was, this was happening right under my nose and I didn't even know. So for me, those statistics were shocking, and then the more I got to know personal stories, that that really um, woke me up to the reality. I mean, as I listen to you say those numbers and put statistics out there and you hear things like people not being expected to live more than seven years once they enter into this, like these are, these are grave numbers. Like it's scary to think about, but something urged you to be more than just alarmed. What, what motivated you to take action? Well, um, like I mentioned, we it all started at this presentation that we went to. Um, and I was there with, um, my friend Alicia, um, and 
both of our husbands are on staff at the church. My husband's a pastor there, and so there were a lot of other women there from the church. And at the end of this presentation, everybody was, you know, reeling in shock, you know, um, and they were coming up to us and asking us, so what are we going to do about this? And uh, we kind of looked at each other, you know, also in shock uh, without an answer. We knew that we needed to go home and do some research and try to figure out um, not only what we could do, but how we could direct these other women into a way to to do something about this problem. So you started Not In Our City. How did the organization come together? Um, well, we spent a, probably like the next year or so um, just researching what organizations already existed in our area and how we could volunteer or serve with one of them. And we found kind of three overarching things. First, there were so many groups that it was just overwhelming. Mm. Um, we didn't even know where to start. Second, there seemed to be no way to vet these organizations. Um, we would call some, and like the phone would just ring. We'd eventually find out that they no longer existed, but their website was still up, and they were still accepting funds. And so we were confused um, as to where to direct others, who to trust with that. And third, there were opportunities to serve for, like, trained counselors. There were opportunities to go into these local brothels and do outreach. But as moms with young children, I don't have a degree in counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we felt that neither one of those really were a way for us to help. And so we thought that maybe God was leading us to kind of help make sense of that whole process, just realizing, man, if other people are having their eyes open to this and feeling the strong sense of, I have to do something now that I know, how can we help them with that process? Because for us, it really was about a year-long process, a very frustrating one, and it became really evident to us, well, no wonder, you know, people hear about this and then they want to do something and then they get so discouraged Mm -hmm. that they go back into a life of complacency. We really wanted to help be part of the solution on that very initial kind of step. I can imagine that it would be really frustrating to look to look at it and think that there are a ton of resources available and then just come up with so many dead ends. I'm wondering what the community's response was as you kind of started to organize into um, into this organization that's mobilizing to, to actually care for um, victims of this sex traffic trade. Yeah, so like at about um, the same time that we were having these thoughts about the existing organizations and just the confusion, um, God had us meet up or cross paths with a woman. Her name is Jennifer Homan, and she was also having very similar thoughts. And she formed a collaboration of the Houston area nonprofits. Um, it's called HAT, Houston Area Against Trafficking. And um, for us, it was perfect timing because um, every month we would get together with all the other nonprofits in that space and, and hear about what they were doing, what was working, what wasn't working, advancements that were being made. And for us, it was it was a good way to find out where we fit into the picture. It helped us realize, like, oh, we don't need to um, recreate any wheels here. Everybody's got a lot of similar wheels, so mm-hmm. um, maybe let's work together. And, you know, for us, where we decided we fit into the puzzle, 
was raising awareness. Doing the thing that was so impactful for us was an important step that a lot of the other nonprofits were doing great work with survivors, helping um, rescue victims, but they they needed more community support, and the community just wasn't understanding kind of what was really going on. And so that's where we really found ourselves being able to to fit into that niche. I think that was a very God-driven opportunity to step into that when that was developing, um, step into that collaboration. And we've learned so much through that and have been able to kind of be adaptable and, and shape ourselves and our vision and our priorities based on what the city as a whole is in need of. Tell us a little bit more about how Not In Our City works. How do you raise awareness? How do you get the information out to your community? Over the past few years that we've existed, we've we've tried a lot of different things and we've done a lot of different things. And like I said, it's a big part of it has been able, just finding the ability to be adaptable and, and move with the ebb and flow of what the community needs. So we've done everything from presentations to church youth groups and gatherings to we executively produced a short film um, and worked with a filmmaker in L.A. and, you know, raised awareness that way. We partnered with a local virtual reality software company that this program creatively explains, like, how grooming is used. And then we even, like, developed um, a curriculum to use in schools to raise awareness with kids and teach them um, how to identify grooming situations. Um, and currently, we're what we've discovered is that without that first kind of step of just general public awareness, like even curriculum in schools, um, it's difficult to convince parents and teachers to trust us to talk about matters of sex and Mm -hmm. abuse. I think a lot of parents and teachers feel like it's too much for kids um, to handle, but research has shown that like most American children have already self-discovered a lot of that stuff on the internet Mm-hmm. Uh, more than we realize. And so our goal um, for this next year is to raise awareness in a kind of grassroots way um, through house concerts. These house concerts will provide like a safe and intimate environment, much like the presentation that we first attended in a friend's home. And we hope that by like inviting the community to a lighthearted and fun social event, like a concert, and then like we'll include a little short 15-minute eye-opening presentation um, that will end up spreading awareness to the parts of our community that would otherwise not show up to a church or a house solely for a presentation on sex trafficking. Most of the people who come to those presentations, they already know something and they are already invested in one way or another. You know, we're just realizing there is a whole lot of our community, a whole lot of our population that really thinks this isn't their problem. Mm-hmm. And that's that in itself is one of the main issues. This is a it's a it's a public epidemic. Uh, it's reaching those proportions, and so we need every citizen to to take ownership that this is happening in our country and to our children. So that's our 2020 goal. I love that you point out like the need for like raising awareness for people to understand that this is a real thing that's happening in your community, so that people can work against it, but also raising awareness for people that this is happening in your community so that it 
doesn't happen to more people, you know, that you recognize the signs and you start to learn, you know, what what are the things, what are the pre the precluders to um, a child getting mm-hmm. stuck in this place? It's so inspiring to hear you talk about it from both of those angles. It's starting to be more common for people to talk about this about sex trafficking. It's becoming more common for Mm -hmm. people to recognize that this is a problem, even though not everyone is taking it on as their own uh, mission. I wonder what makes your organization different. You guys are Christians, and your um, your faith is uh, motivating you to make a difference in this way. How how is your mission different because of being a follower of Christ? You know, it's funny— um, now that I've gotten to know so many other nonprofit leaders in this area of trafficking, I think I can only think of one who is not a follower of Jesus. Mm, wow! <laughs> I think I think I think she's Jewish, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that there are successful advocates out there who don't believe. I think I have found that when confronting like such evil, that mm-hmm. in order to stand like face-to-face with the devil. It requires the Spirit of Jesus living within us to keep us from just crumbling. Um, And I have seen it so much in some of these other advocates. I mean, I cannot tell you the number of, like, near-death sudden illnesses and hospitalizations that, like, just this collaboration has faced, like, in over the past three years. Um, It's just very, very obvious that, that the enemy does not like <laughs> what we're doing. I think having um, a faith that Jesus is bigger and has already won and defeated Satan, that makes a marked difference because there, the fear then is gone and the trust in that, that you know, he has our backs is, you know, that that is what can push us to go a little bit further and a little bit longer, I think. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. I'm sure that you face incredible hardships and just devastating situations in this type of work. What kind of challenges are you up against, and how do you keep from being completely paralyzed by fear or by the evil that you're seeing? Mm. I mean, honestly, there was a period of about two months early on in, in kind of all of our research that got pretty dark for me um, personally. I just, I couldn't handle the gravity and the expanse of the issue, the depravity of the world, and the issue itself just seemed insurmountable and that traffickers were always one step ahead of us. And I felt just like a sitting duck with like four ducklings of my own. And Mm -hmm. I had to just take a break. Um, I had to allow myself time to rest and to reflect on all that was good in the world after focusing on all the bad. And I had to remember that, like, the sovereignty of Jesus was good, um, and that this group of freedom fighters that I was watching work, they were doing amazing work. And then knowing that it's the power of Jesus equipping me, it wasn't up to me to solve the problem, but He was calling me just to impact one life at a time. As far as challenges, um, I think like most nonprofits, one of our biggest challenges is funding. Um, Just having enough to sustain daily operations is always in question, and that can be its own discouraging, (laughs) that can create its own discouraging thoughts at times. But I think just remembering that God's 
control in control of that too. You know, even in the financial things, he is in control and he knows how it's all going to work out. Well, I bet that in the midst of the hardships, you also get to see some pretty exciting stories of deliverance as well. How have you seen lives changed because of the work of Not in Our City? We've seen God intervene and prevent teens from meeting up for a scheduled rendezvous to run away with a trafficker. We've seen an 18-year-old young man like break into tears during a high school presentation, and then he went and told a counselor about abuse that he had never shared with anyone prior to that. And then we were able to connect him with a licensed counselor so he could start the healing process. We even had a young man at an LCMS youth gathering um, after one of our presentations come up and confess that he and a group of friends were using drugs, and one night while under the influence, they raped fellow female friends, um, and he had never voiced this before. He was feeling a lot of shame about it, and we worked with his local church to facilitate help and healing for him and for, like, the whole group of friends. We've seen other kids come forward, you know, with concerns for their peers or a sibling, maybe, that could possibly be in danger, and we've been able to give them some steps in how to how to work through that. It's so hard to quantify the work because oftentimes we only get to see the very first step of awareness and kind of an unveiling of like, oh my goodness, I didn't see this for what it was. I didn't see this relationship for being a grooming situation. And we try to provide resources for those people to, to move past that We only see the front end of that. Oftentimes, we don't get to hear the end of the story because, you know, we, um, again, turn them to the professionals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And, you know, our hope is that we're connecting people with the help that they need um, and the resources that they need. But I I think anytime um, anything is brought into the light, I mean, Scripture says over and over again, like, that's a good thing. And so... I just consider that to be some of the highlights is when when things are being brought out because there's so much healing just in in that. These can be really, really difficult and messy situations to find yourself in the midst of when young people are confessing things like this. And what have you what have you learned about God through all of this? Like how have you been impacted because of your work in these types of situations? There have been days that have been, you know, where it is weighty and just wondering, man, would it be easier to just not do this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Let all these other nonprofits do it. Um, But I think, you know, what God's teaching me is just to trust Him and that those feelings of doubt are not from Him, that they're from the enemy. And, you know, I have seen how God is, directing and shaping and molding just the whole process and our whole vision. God definitely cares about this issue. He cares about it. So that kind of goes without saying He cares about this. But for me and my desire to follow this passion, to pursue this thing and do something about it, in that whole process, 
God has been pursuing me. Mm. He is helping me realize all the ways that He has created me to do something that's for His glory. Mm. Um, even if I was not on the planet, He would still be empowering other people to fight this issue. So He doesn't need me. He could handle it. <laughs> But the fact that He asks me to be a part of it, I am learning that that is about Him loving me and Him pursuing me because He doesn't need me, if that makes sense. Um, And so, for instance, the fact that we have moved into this next year focusing on using house concerts um, and developing relationships with musicians and songwriters to help put on these house concerts I'm a singer-songwriter. Music has always been a big part of my life. Now God is using both of my passions all in the same place. It is, I feel like my life is becoming a little more integrated and seeing how like, oh, God, you made me to care about these things because you had this plan to work it out this way that I didn't see five years ago. And and in that, just seeing like God is loving me well, even though He doesn't need me. Yeah, still, and and yet He invites you into the story and, and yeah. brings you alongside. Yeah, that's really beautiful. So, if someone is listening and they are feeling moved to do something, and they're feeling like a stirring um, within them to fight back against this particular evil in our society, but they don't know where to start. What encouragement would you give to them? I would say first, pray. Pray about just the issue in general. Pray for those who are stuck in these situations um, and can't get out. Um, And then I would say pray for the nonprofits that are in your area um, and pray for God to reveal to you those that that are doing good work. I mean, if you get on the Internet and do a Google search for trafficking nonprofits in your area. I am sure that a long list will <laughs> come up, but it's a, a tough process. But I would say uh, reach out to those people, and if someone answers the phone, they undoubtedly will have a need. I would just say to listen. I would, If you have kids, I would say don't be scared to talk about these things. Um, I know on our website... We have kind of in the resource section the six steps that groomers often use, and this is all like survivor-informed. So people who have been through this and have survived it are speaking into like, yes, that is the process that I was taken through. I would talk about those six steps with your kids, help them to understand kind of this devious world around us, that there are people who aren't honest, who manipulate. If you have kids, I would also come up with a plan. What is if your child thinks they see something? What's their plan? Can they come contact you as the parent? Is there a teacher that you trust that you want them to talk to? And then other, other plans, like we have a high schooler, and we have an agreement that if she's ever in a situation where she feels uncomfortable she can send us a text that's just an empty text, some spaces and hit send. And we know that means she needs us right now to come intervene. 
So just having a, an action plan if you have kids. And then if you, if you have kids and you can talk to your school administration and, and ask for permission or, or eat, to come and talk to students or, or even ask for your administration to find a nonprofit, you know, as a parent to say, like, I really want my kids to learn about this and kind of pressure your administration a little bit to, to teach your kids. I mean, those are all great ways to get involved and to help make a difference. Well, Angie, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for sharing about the work that you do. Um, hard work. We're grateful that that you're doing it and that you um, are teaching us to be more aware um, of what's going on in our communities. Well, thank you so much for having me. The thought of confronting an enormous atrocity like human trafficking can be overwhelming and even paralyzing. But when the sex trade is becoming the fastest growing criminal activity, surpassing the illegal gun and drug activity, it's time to take action. For Angie Geiki, it means mobilizing community and raising awareness. How will you help? How will you follow the call to help the weak? We can begin today by praying, as in the Psalms, for God to rescue the weak and needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That's action and ministry. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rachel Legute. Thank you for listening to Action in Ministry. We'd love to hear how you and your church are ministering to your community. To submit ideas for this podcast, visit our website, lhm.org forward slash action, and send us an email.